Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. It is an open line Friday, 877-973-7425. You get to call in about topics off the beaten path. Anything you got a question about, just keep in mind, you you still got to actually have a good question. You'd be amazed at the number of people who call in who they're just not good callers, and then they get upset because they don't get on the program. It just you got to make it past call screener. He's not hard to get past if you're articulate, but I mean, and not combative either. You know, you can actually call in the program and disagree with me on something, and you can get on the program. It's possible. You just can't be a jerk. It's amazing how many times you got to tell people that. In any event, uh, I want to move on, but before I do, Greg is on the phone and has the potential to make me look smart in how I answer his question. Greg, welcome to the show. High bar for you. Uh, thank you for that. Um, there was just, I don't know if, I haven't seen anyone bring this op- possibility up. But, I mean, for one, you can't rule out a conviction because it's deep blue New York. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how weak the case is, I mean, a judge and jury in New York could still find him guilty. And right. my concern is if the Democrats play their cards right and wait until after the convention and Trump is officially nominated and then convict him, he'll be a convicted felon and therefore ineligible to run for president, which would leave the Republicans without a candidate at the last minute. And the Democrats can just fly right back into the White House with no opposition. Ah, but there's a there's a mistake in your th- theory of what will happen. <laughs> um, this is why I said Greg's call is going to make me look good. Um, so uh, let, let me let me uh, run through. This is Article 1, or I'm sorry, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 4 of the United States Constitution. No person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of the presidency, nor shall any person be eligible for that office who shall not have obtained the age of 35 years and been 14 years a resident within the United States. That doesn't say, Greg, that uh, you can't also be a felon. In fact, I figured you you could correct me on that. I heard that somewhere before, but it could still potentially leave the Republicans without a yeah, so if, well, I mean, yeah, this is something the Republicans will have to take up, but you can be a felon indicted and on death row in prison and run for president of the United States. And if you get enough people to vote for you, you become president of the United States. Oh, um, it, that's it, good it, to know. I might run myself now. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, you, you, seriously, you can be in prison you wouldn't be able to vote for yourself because your rights have been taken away from you, but you can run for president of the United States if you can get the nomination. That That's one of the quirks of the American Constitution. Uh, you got to be a U.S. resident who has lived in the country for 14 years, uh, and you, you, who is a natural-born American and 35 years or older. You can also be a felon on death row. You just good luck, I mean, campaigning. They're not going to let you out of prison to campaign. Uh, they wouldn't let Trump, if he went to prison, he wouldn't be able to get out of the campaign trail. But he could run for president of the United States and people could vote for him. Now, would it be wise? No. Uh, and if you become president, if the voters elect you, do you get out of prison to go be president? No. He would have to serve from prison. 
but you could do it. And there are some Republicans who are going to say, uh, let's do it. Let's uh, watch me. Uh, watch me do it. I, I don't know that that's a wise thing to do. But some Republicans will do it. They will have his, they will have, I just think, again, the, the strongest argument against Donald Trump is he could only serve four years. Any other Republican could serve for eight years. I mean, Donald Trump in four years couldn't turn back the deep state. Uh, he, as president, controlled the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, and the military, and still couldn't stop the Democrats from stealing the election from him. And now Joe Biden's going to be in charge of all of that. Good luck trying to stop the election from being stolen, if you believe it was stolen. Not that it was, but you get my point. I just think Republicans are sometimes their own worst enemy. Now, we got to move on. I will take your calls, but i gotta, I got to get something off my chest. CBS News, according to multiple news outlets, banned staff from using the word transgender when reporting on uh, the transgender shooter in Nashville. In a memo obtained by the New York Post, CBS News instructed its reporters not to say Audrey Hill was transgender and in fact encouraged its reporters to quote, move on to focus on other important points of the investigation community and solutions. Now I want to read you the Washington post headline for Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the chief of the Islamic state ISIS Killed, and this is how the Washington Post, I'm not making this up. This is not Photoshop. This is the real headline for the obituary of the terrorist head of the Islamic State. Abu Baker al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State, dies at 48. Austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State. Never mind he was a terrorist mastermind who butchered thousands of people and enslaved many more. He was an austere religious scholar, according to the Washington Post. And now there's this. And again, I'm not making this up. This is from The Mirror, another news outlet. Nashville school shooter Audrey Hale could have been a children's illustrator as their, not her, their artwork was whimsical and childlike, a former teacher has revealed. Nashville shooter Audrey Hale could have been a children's illustrator as their artwork was whimsical and childlike, a former teacher has revealed. Hitler was a great watercolor painter. Ho Chi Minh was a poet. And Audrey Hale could have been a children's illustrator. I hope you guys see what's going on here. It should be more than a little offensive to everyone who really is concerned about the state of the nation, 
that we're at this point where the media is covering for a murderer and being sympathetic to the murderer, ignoring the children and the teachers who are murdered in favor of lamenting the murderer. This is Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House Press Secretary. These lawmakers are passing these bills and to those who are taking to the streets to protest them. So look, um, first of all, we, uh, we support peaceful protest. Uh, we think it's important for Americans and people just across the country to make their voices heard, uh, just as long as it's peaceful. Uh, and we've been very clear about these anti-LGBTQ bills that we're seeing in state legislators, legislatures across the country, in particular these anti-trans bills, uh, as they attack trans kids, as they attack trans parents. Uh, it, is, it is shameful. And it is unacceptable. Uh, as you mentioned, tomorrow's Trans Visibility Day on a day that we should be lifting up our trans kids, our trans youth, and making sure that they feel seen. We're seeing more and more of these hateful, hateful bills. And uh, that's what Republicans want to spend their time on. They don't want to talk about lowering costs. They don't want to talk about actually making Americans' lives better. They want to take away people's freedoms. And one of the things that we saw during the midterm elections is that People don't want their freedoms to be taken. They want us to fight for their freedoms. And so it is shameful, it is disturbing, and uh, our hearts go out to uh, the, those, the trans community as they are under attack. Our hearts go out to the trans community as they are under attack. What about the dead kids in Nashville? Trans activists... stormed the state capital of Nashville and of Tennessee in Nashville and held a die-in. They lay down on the floor pretending to be dead, not to commemorate or honor the children who Audrey Hale killed, but to commemorate Audrey Hale. They held up seven fingers instead of six, to show the number of people who were tragically killed in Nashville. You know, at the heart of transgenderism is uh, distinct narcissism. There's actually a lot in common with a former president, the level of narcissism in the trans community. Uh, the trans community, the entirety is premised on narcissism, this idea that they get to be creator and create in their own image. Charlotte Clymer uh, is a, a trans activist who has done nothing other than put on makeup to try to look like a woman. I think children are only unsafe at drag shows when a shooter shows up to kill them. That's right. That's where the threat is. I would challenge anyone just to get to know trans people. We are a vibrant, diverse community, as diverse as anyone else. You know, I'm from the great state of Texas. I served in the military. I go to church every Sunday. My faith is very important to me. But God made me in her image. God made me transgender. It's fascinating, isn't it, that God came to earth as a man, calls himself father in the Bible, and his are the only pronouns we're not allowed to, we don't have to embrace. You got to embrace everybody else's pronoun, but God calls himself father, always appears in the Bible as a man, and up, she, God created, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible, Charlie Clymer. The God of the Bible, whose scripture you use and quote, in Genesis 1 says, God created man, male and female. 
male and female, he created them. We don't get to create. We are created. In fact, the word choice used for God created them, male and female, is bara, which is a word reserved for God himself, divine creation. You don't get to make yourself male and female. Uh, if you worship a God who made you something other than male or female, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. Uh, and, of course, you're not allowed to challenge that. That's considered bigotry these days. We have an entire group of people narcissistically revising everything to be about them. Uh, we're talking about less than 1% of the American population, and the White House would spend more time covering them this week and being sympathetic to them than the six dead people in Nashville, Tennessee. I, I got to pause and just say this. I, I, I don't mean to come across as, as hateful or unkind on this issue. And I know for some people I will, but it really is infuriating to me that we had three children and three adults at a Christian private school in Nashville, Tennessee, murdered on Monday. The media went out of their way to avoid saying that the shooter was transgender. The police themselves aren't releasing the shooter's manifesto, and they would if it was a conservative. And the White House... And the media have put more into being sympathetic to the shooter than to the children. Can you imagine if the media were sympathetic to Dylan Roof, the murderer in Charleston, South Carolina, who killed the people at the AME Church? Can you imagine if the media went out of their way to, to not blame him, to, to, to be apologetic for him, to talk about the hard life he had, how sad it was. We need some understanding. Can you imagine what people's reaction would be? And that's what they've done here. You have news outlets essentially blame Audrey Hill's parents for not accepting Audrey Hill as transgender. And now you've got this from the media that her artwork was childlike and whimsical. Actually, there, there. They didn't want to use her. They, their artwork was whimsical and childlike. They could have been, not she, they could have been an illustrator for children's books. The world is turned upside down. You want to talk about norm shattering, there's your norm shattering. I have not only converted my entire family to bull and branch sheets, but a lot of my friends as well, because I actually believe in them. You can feel the craftsmanship, and the amazing thing is that these sheets get softer every time you wash them. Don't believe me? Give them a try. Right now, you can get early access to Bowl and Branch's spring sale. You use code ERIC, that would be my name, E-R-I-C-K, and get 20% off today at BowlandBranch.com. That's BowlandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Exclusions apply. See the site for details. I got to tell you guys, these sheets are designed for incredible night sleeps. They're made without toxins. They're free from synthetic pesticides, formaldehydes, harsh chemicals. They fit really deep mattresses. And I've got a thick mattress, and they don't shrink up, which is great. Take care of the sheets. The sheets take care of you, and you get a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. And right now, use code ERIC to take 20% off today at BolandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com, promo code ERIC. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. It is an open line Friday before I get to anything else. <laughs> oh my gosh. We, we got to Okay. 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 I got to set this up for you and explain this. Um, 
There is a Twitter account called Three Year Letterman. It is a parody account. The guy is a fan of the University of Georgia football team and essentially does an over-the-top parody of a know-it-all football fan who is also a Little League baseball coach and has a 26-CD changer in the back of his Toyota Camry and is just convinced he knows everything and is wrong about everything and will argue with you till you're blue in the face on Twitter. And what's amazing about it is the guy's actually a very smart lawyer and people fall for the shtick. They they think he's serious. So Stormy Daniels has put up a tweet. Thank you to everyone for your support and love. I have so many messages coming in and I can't respond. Also don't want to spill the champagne. Uh, and he replies to her, starry, not to be that guy, but the president in this country has diplomatic immunity. It is illegal for you to profit off of this. So as a youth football coaching legend, I highly recommend deleting this tweet and deleting your account. Again, it's a parody account and smart people don't get the joke. So a indigenous affairs reporter in Canada replies to him, how does some coach from Georgia who has no idea what he's talking about have more than 400,000 followers, including people I don't know follow? It's rigged. To which three-year letterman replies, Porter, let's level here. How many non-clearance bin DVDs do you own? (laughs) And then someone else. I served as a U.S. diplomat for 25 years and can state authoritatively he does not possess such immunity, and I'm grateful to have retired uh, before he became president. And then there's another one. Uh, (laughs) These people think it's a real account. It just... uh, three, you're not to be that person, but you should stick to things you know something about, like sports. <laughs> they've completely, I mean, they've completely followed for it, and he's driven them insane, and he does this time and time again. And now I've spent so much time on this, I, I've missed the moments to tell you about Omaha Steak, so I'll have to do that. I'll have to do that when we get back. This is just too good not to share. I mean, you, you got these blue check reporters going insane over this guy trying to fact check Stormy Daniels, and it's all a big joke. They just don't know. Now, uh, your phone calls, open line Friday, 877-973-7425. I was mentioning three-year letterman just to, to drag this out one more second. Uh, some diplomat explains to him that as a diplomat, he knows presidents don't have diplomatic immunity, and <laughs> Letterman replies, uh, actually, as a coach, I know my history. And ever since our first president, Benjamin Franklin, invented lightning or invented electricity, every president has had diplomatic community. <laughs> People just fall for it. Okay, okay, okay. Phone calls, 877-973-7425. Mark, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome. Eric, God bless you. I hope you keep doing this for a very long time. Um, really enjoy the show. Uh, Thank you. So I want to know, I want to know when the propagandistas, because they're not really media outlets anymore, they're American Pravda, 
when they're going to get kicked off social media for dead naming uh, Audrey, I mean, isn't that supposed to be like a, a, a penultimate crime? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're right. So uh, Audrey Hale went by Aiden Hale, uh, and the media is considering it Audrey. Now here's here's my theory. This is just my theory. My my suspicion is that she had not legally changed her name, and uh, while most media outlets embrace people's change of name. Uh, the, the real rule for all the media outlets is if they legally change their name, they embrace it. Um, but, uh, to your point, most of them, they'll just do it anyway. That doesn't matter whether or not it's, there's been a legal change or not. They do it. Uh, but well, not, you got not kicked not for off of Twitter for talking about the, the swimmer. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, um, I, I referred to, uh, Leah Thomas as a man, and the swimmer and my account was suspended on Twitter for referring to, and I said, actually used the phrase biological male, which is factually true. Uh, and you know, Elon has taken it over and claims to be cleaning things up, but it's gotten bad again. I've had a number of friends, including my buddy, Sean Davis from the Federalists were kicked off Twitter for highlighting that uh, transgender activists in Tennessee were calling for a day of vengeance and they were deleting anybody's account who brought it up. Uh, it just, wow. it, I think Elon Musk is killing Twitter, and I think it's probably killing him that he's killing Twitter. He thought he could fix it, and he has it. It's just it's a it's a hell site. Uh, Mark, thanks for calling it. I I I am obliged to use it because of the nature of my business, and I um I am not a fan of the website and I kind of resent it that I have to use it. Instagram is the one I like, you know, if you text Eric E R I C K to three, three, seven, 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 you can find all my social media links. Instagram is the one I like the most It's where I kind of live life. When I travel, when I cook, I put all the pictures up. I'll be cooking a lot this weekend. Got the guys coming over for bourbon and cigars. I'll, I'll be cooking. Uh, and I put up those pictures and it's just kind of where I like to live life. And, it's it's the one where the the interactions are pleasant. I've actually met people on Instagram who have become real life friends. A, a number of people. In fact, I had dinner last night with with a guy who kind of met him on Instagram. Then he came to a charity event. We got to know each other. Uh, we both like bourbon and and cigars and and golf, and we we've gotten to be friends. And it's I really thought when I got into radio that would kind of not happen anymore. People would want to be friends with a guy on radio, and actually that's true. Some people want to be friends with a guy on radio, but I have, because of the nature of Instagram and your relational ability to share pictures about your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, although admittedly a lot of people curate it, I actually uh, have gotten to be friends with people there, and it's, it's been nice. Now, I got I to gotta move on um, because we got to talk about the wokes some more. Every revolution from the left consumes itself. And I need to make a distinction here. Uh, historians, and I'm not talking about ideologically oriented historians. You do need to know that this is not a political point per se, but historians generally recognize the American Revolution as a conservative revolution. I don't mean that in the sense you and I might mean it. Uh, what I mean is that uh, when you read the writings of the not just the founding fathers, but of your average citizen 
engaged in the war effort of the American Revolution, the average colonist engaged in the war effort, what you find is that they believed they were fighting for what was already theirs. They did not believe they were fighting for something new. When you read the Declaration of Independence, what you find is a group of people who say, we're entitled to these things. We want these things we're supposed to already have. Because King George won't give them the things we're supposed to already have, we are allowed by God to throw off the existing structure of government and build a new existing structure of government, not to give us new things, but things we're already supposed to have. In that sense, it's a conservative revolution. Bernard Balin, I've mentioned this book before, it's a brilliant history book, The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution. It changed the way a lot of people think about American history. Uh, in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, the prevailing sentiment of the American Revolution was that it was a mercantilist revolution, that the British, through tax structures, were undermining the upper-middle-class traders of the colonies who decided that they needed a revolution to preserve their wealth. And that kind of became the common theme and ideology of how American history was taught, is that it was a commercial enterprise being disrupted by the British, therefore the merchants had to rebel to keep the money coming. Now, of course, Hannah Nicole or Nicole Hannah Jones has revised it with the 1619 Project that it was to preserve slavery, which is absolutely not true. Bernard Balin did something different. He's a very famous American history professor. Bernard Balin documented this in his book, The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution. What he found is that your average middle-class person, your average literate poor person in the United States, and the poor were highly literate, and the middle class were very literate, and they wrote letters back and forth to each other. And he read the letters of the husbands to the wives and the wives to the husbands and the parents to the children and the children to the parents, not of George Washington and his family or of John Hancock and his family, not of Paul Revere and his family, but of your average grunt who you don't know who was summoned to Bunker Hill, who would die on the battlefield, whose name history would not otherwise record. What Bernard Balin found is that these people really believed they were English subjects and citizens and that they were entitled to the English Bill of Rights that their grandfathers in Great Britain had fought for and that the king and parliament would not recognize them as British citizens. They recognized them as something else, as colonists. And they were aggrieved that they believed themselves to be Englishmen. Many of their grandfathers had in 1688 fought uh, for parliament and the British and the, the English Bill of Rights. And so they were rebelling to essentially secure their British sovereignty. And originally, they had believed all along that it was Parliament who was keeping information from the king. You have to keep in mind concurrent to all of these things happening in the United States. Changes were happening in Great Britain. George III was king. George III had a mental illness, uh, biologically induced mental illness. Uh, Parliament was becoming stronger. William Pitt, uh, among others, as prime ministers, were exercising more and more control, taking more and more control from George III, which was an evolution from the Glorious Revolution, William and Mary coming over, exercising primacy of Parliament. Well, the Americans 
were across the ocean, a multi-week voyage. Uh, things, the rule of law was changing in Britain. The power of the king was fading as the power of parliament was gaining, and they didn't know it. And for the longest time, the Americans thought, oh, parliament is keeping things from his majesty. If only his majesty knew these things. So they convey their letters to his majesty, and George III tells them, walk a plank. And they're like, well, I mean, parliament's against us. His majesty's against us. We're British, and we've got to rebel against Britain so that we can preserve our British rights. That was the American Revolution. They wanted something new to preserve something old. Most revolutions are liberal revolutions. The American Revolution was a conservative revolution. Most revolutions, the French Revolution, the most famous of them, was a very liberal revolution. The people did not want to throw off something to get something old. They wanted to throw off the old to get something brand new. The French wanted to get rid of, what do they call it, the ancient regime, the ancient regime, the old regime. They wanted something new. It became a very socialist-oriented revolution. And what happened, because they were striving for something new and not something old, they were unmoored from those old things, and thus the new thing could ever evolve into something more new. And eventually the revolutionaries themselves were swept up and killed by the advanced revolutionaries in the quest for something new and evolving. Robespierre, who started the Reign of Terror, lost his head to the Reign of Terror. In these sorts of progressive revolutions, the revolutionaries tend to find themselves in the guillotine. That's now happening. When I wrote my book, You Will Be Made to Care, several years ago, I said this is a wildfire burning, and eventually it will run out of fuel and it will burn itself out. And the question is how many people will be burned up in the flames before it's out of fuel? And I noted that historically in these sorts of situations, the people who strike the match are the ones who ultimately get burned. It is happening to no finer people than those at National Public Radio. National Public Radio has laid off 84 people and stopped production of four podcasts, Invisibilia, Louder Than a Riot, and Rough Translation, among others. They said uh, they had to do these layoffs because they fell short of $30 million in fundraising, and if they did not cut these people off, they would be completely out of money within three years. So they had an all-hands-on-deck meeting, and they allowed the laid-off people to speak to the CEO and others, and it went very, very badly. Uh, when they started, when the laid-off employees started naming other employees and managers who they blamed, the CEO requested that they stop attacking and turn down the rhetoric. He said in the call, quote, I would never ever on your worst day call you out by name in a meeting with 827 people. Let's please keep in mind nobody is happy about this. Nobody is more unhappy about it than those affected, but certainly everybody in the company, beginning with me, this is the last thing we wanted to do. At that point, the employees got really, really angry and deployed an NPR segment called Co of Code Switch in which it was titled, When Civility is Used as a Cudgel Against People of Color. And that's right. The employees who were laid off used NPR's own story about how civility is a way to perpetuate racism to explain how he couldn't tell them anything and uh, he was treating them without dignity and it was racist. 
it's kind of beautiful to see this happen. They actually, in the process, called the CEO, quote unquote, tone policing, that by policing the tone of the aggrieved, he was perpetuating racism. And it has taken a nasty turn inside NPR. Employees who haven't lost their job are now upset about the tone and the racism inside NPR because the CEO dared to demand civility. And NPR itself has run segments on how civility perpetuates racism. Could not happen to finer people. The chickens coming home to roost in the woke revolution at NPR, it would be magnificent if the government finally stopped subsidizing public radio and it had to use the wokes to fund itself when the wokes are the ones in the revolution who are breaking out the guillotines for the CEO of NPR at this very moment. It's kind of funny to watch. You know, speaking of battling the wokes, it's what Patriot Mobile does. They take their profits, they grow their profits, and in growing their profits, they then fight the wokes. In fact, they've been getting conservative parents elected to school boards around the country. They started in Texas. They've expanded it. And all you have to do to help them is move your cell phone service to them. You get guaranteed great service. They use the cell towers you're probably already using. All you do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can also call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. You can get discounts if you're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher. You got a lot of lines in your house. You need a lot of lines. They can give you good discounts, help you save some money. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. If you go there, you'll see uh, an address insert. You put in your home address. They'll zoom right to your house and show you how good the 5G coverage is, the data, the voice, you name it. They got it all. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan, Georgia. They can help you wherever you are in the United States. You're looking for money to build a building, buy a building, grow a business. You need $750,000 or more and your lender sucks. Well, First Liberty does not. They're fantastic, great people. The uh, frost just salt of the earth people and they want to help your business. They've been doing this since the 90s. Reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. All right. Uh, I was going to put on the. I, I've got such a. Uh, y'all, please, 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 please. I beg you. I beg you. I beg you. Stick with me for the next hour because I have got a story. Uh, you, we say occasionally funny. I've got the funniest story I have read. I thought it was a joke until I Googled it. It is a true story in the New York Times. You're going to love it. But I want to go to Pat's phone call first. Pat, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Eric. It's good to talk to you. I enjoy listening to you, a voice of reason in a world awash with emotion. I appreciate but, it. Um, um, you know, we all hear about Beria and show me the crime and I will show you, and you show me the man and I will show you the crime. But I've been looking a lot at China recently and a number of Chinese billionaires have been disappearing. And then when they, they're all enemies of the current regime or opposition, and when they reappear, they're all indicted for a number of various business crimes and corruption, and they go to jail for a couple of decades. I find it interesting and disturbing that we're going to have 30 different counts against Trump for what is probably obviously business crimes. That disturbs me. Mm-hmm. It should. Well, it is. For all the people who claim the right is authoritarian, this is your authoritarianism staring you in the face. A, a county district attorney in New York trying to prosecute the former president 
over a 2016 issue that this DA's predecessor said uh, would not hold up in court. This guy, who's actually not as smart as the old guy, thinks he knows better, is uh, under the, the cover of a grand jury, trotted out surprisingly 35, 36 counts based on something that even federal prosecutors in Joe Biden's administration do not think amounts to anything. But this guy somehow thinks he does. Yes, I can totally see the comparisons to how China deals with its its businessmen who have made too much money. The only thing Donald Trump did that is a chief sin among these people is beating Hillary Clinton. They don't care about the adultery. They do it, too. They don't care about the, the cooking the books. They do it, too. They care that he beat Hillary Clinton, and they've been trying to get him ever since. When we come back, y'all, I'm telling you, you're not. I don't want to build this up too much, but you need to be here for the next hour. Uh, text Eric to 33777 if you need the live stream. You need to listen to the story.